Welcome to the Big Ticket Clients Show, and I am so proud to introduce you today to my friend, Mr. Jim Rembach. Now, Jim, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing great, and I'm honored to be here, so thanks. All right. Now, I got to introduce you, Jim, because one of the interesting things here is I know a little bit about you. I know where you live, right? (laughs) Jim, you and I are friends, and it has been my honor to watch you build your business over the years to become what I consider the number one authority in the call center, contact center space. I mean, literally, you teach people how to take a contact center uh, portion of their business and turn it into business value, results, and outcomes. So I am so proud that you're here to share your success today. Thanks. And, and so for me, you know, to, to kind of add on to that, when you think about yeah. contact center and call center, what's happening over the past, you know, several years is we're really starting to talk about customer experience and how wow. all that contact center fits in. And so then all the behaviors, all the emotions, all of the aspects that also lead into marketing, sales, retention, you see how this goes, right? Yeah, yeah. That is that is so powerful. You know, it, it's funny because you've taken me right where I want to go next, which is I want to know more about kind of the context that you are currently experiencing right now with your business, how your clients are coming to you, uh, what your clients are struggling with. Give us a sense of your business landscape right now in the call, call center space. Well, and for me, it's multifaceted. So um, back a, a while ago, I started a digital, aca- you know, virtual academy mm-hmm. to develop the frontline leader in a contact center because really since contact centers have existed, typically the, the leadership development skills for those frontline leaders kind of goes something like sink or swim, meaning that, you know, hey, you are good as a person who is contributing on the front line as an agent or a representative or, you know, whatever your organization calls them. And, and then, you know what, you'll be a good supervisor leading those types of people. And so you're going to start doing that soon uh, and just tell them what you know and everything will be fine. Wow. That's not the way it works. Yeah. You, you know, it's interesting. You, you uh, remind me of Dr. Marshall Goldsmith who said, you know, what got you here can't get you there, right? Um, you're, you're essentially helping people understand that if you're going to go into these larger leadership positions, you've got to develop some leadership, right? So you're in the people development and leadership development business as well, aren't you? Yes. In addition to that, you know, because I've spent many years on the marketing and sales side and I came and worked for an organization that was selling voice of customer measurement to those types of environments prior to my days of being in operations. I used to manage in a call center. And so I, used, I was responsible for the sales and the marketing, the client onboarding, client success because of my operational experience. I was pulled in to help with performance optimization and data interpretation and all of those things that are necessary to use data to provide a better customer experience and measure you know, your workforce performance. Um, and, and so uh, the company that I worked for, essentially the, the business philosophy was, Hey, we're paying your salary for marketing and sales and that's all you're going to get. So in order for me to create a platform, in order for me to create a brand, in order for me to, you know, try to attract clients, retain clients, I had to do everything from a position of scarcity. Mm -hmm. So what that meant for me is that I had to learn how some of these companies that I was competing against for that type of professional services work, um, you know, and and had, you know, tens of thousands and sometimes millions of dollars, you know, with pennies, with with nothing. So I had to figure out how to do my own, you know, funnel building. I had to do my own marketing automations, my own 
And I had to do it all from a position of, well, I, I, you know, either, you know, free or very, very little money. Yeah. You know, and, and Jim, you've brought up a point that I, I really want to congratulate you for, because over the years I've watched you build up your fast leader podcast, which from a content marketing point of view is just pure genius. You have been interviewing, I think you've had up to 200 plus guests interviewing leaders over the years consistently, building up this great repertoire of social proof. And, you know, one thing I might want to say is that, you know, given what you've experienced in building up your, your marketing, the things you had to do on your own, how has that informed how you help your fast or sorry, your frontline leaders today. How has all of that experience led you to be the expert you are today? I mean, the, you know, the reality for me is that because of the fast Leader podcast, I, I could not have written a check big enough for the education that I have received. Wow. Just not possible. Uh, even so, and I'll give you some perspective. I just myself completed an interview with Dr. Samuel Bacharach, um, who uh-huh. wrote this book, here, transforming the clunky organization. Let's show that book again. Let's show that book again. Transforming the clunky organization. Nice. Nice. Thank you. And, uh, and so he, he is actually a professor at Cornell university. He, he actually became a professor back in 1974. So this gentleman has been a professor for (laughs) a very long time and he is co-written, co-authored, authored, you know, many different papers and studies and things like that. And, and during our interview, he stops and he goes, this is one of the best interviews I ever had. And he goes, Usually I hate doing these things. He goes, but you're asking me questions and we're talking about things that I just never thought, you know, I would be talking to on an interview like this. I would not have been able to have that type of conversation with Dr. Bacharach if I didn't have what came before him. Yes. And so for me, it's this constant building. Now, with that being said, also talking about my revenue streams for a call center coach, one of the revenue streams is that I have coaching clients where I'm helping them with their sales and marketing alignment, helping them with their marketing automation, helping with their their marketing messaging. And because Mm -hmm. I've had to do that from a position of scarcity, and I've taken all these things that I've learned from the Fast Leader Show, and so I, I now have multiple revenue streams for call center coach. Yes, we have the academy. But then I also have an alliance partner program that I'm disrupting the industry on as well. And what I mean by that is my, with my partners, I help them block out their competitors. Mm, mm. We'll help raise only their platform in the industry. No other place can they go to where they're spending any marketing spend and get that type of security. Wow. I mean, they're typically lumped in the noise with everyone else. So you know, I'm talking about big ticket clients and starting to talk about, you know, being very selective and who I do work with, I'm doing that and it's paying huge dividends. Wow. That's, that's just so exciting to hear. And, you know, I want to zone back in on your ideal clients, right? Uh, whether it's, you know, a combination or, or multiple clients, maybe the, the, uh, the frontline leaders, some of these bigger ticket clients that you've talked about. Can you sort of describe for us the pain that they, your typical clients are experiencing that you can come in and, and, and solve? You know, pain comes in many different forms and formats, and I always feel that it's very personal. And so, you know, part of you know, being able to understand what you actually are solving for is, mm-hmm. you know, I became a certified in emotional intelligence for many reasons, and th- this is one of them, because yeah. I can connect and understand. Because a lot of times what people convey verbally in regards to what their pains or the things that they're struggling with are really not the root causes and the things behind it. And also yeah. some of those you can't talk about. 
because once you do talk about them, you, the door is shut on you. So you have to be really yeah. careful. Mm-hmm. And so the pains that they're feeling are really ones of what I refer to as cruise control. Yeah. They're stuck in cruise control. Hmm. Tell us more about this concept of cruise control. That sounds so interesting. Well, I, I mean, if you stop, if all of us stop and think about the times where we have been on that, you know, road trip that lasted, a, you know, a, a two hours or more, and we're sitting there on cruise control, and we're maybe on a flat piece of land, right? Not a whole lot to see on the sides. Maybe yeah. there's not a whole lot of cars on the road. And, we're, and, we're, and we have the cruise control on, set at 60, say 65 miles an hour, and we're just going down the highway. Sometimes 30 minutes will pass and we don't even know it happened. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, only three miles have passed and it seems like it was 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. We just get stuck in this cruise control. And before we know it, sometimes we're at our destination. Sometimes, you know, we, we, it seems like we take forever to get there. The fact is that cruise control trips us up in a lot of different ways. And if we get stuck on cruise control, we will never have the opportunity to really see what's going on around us, have the sensation of that foot and when we have to put on pressure, when we have to take it off, maybe when we have to break, maybe yeah. when we don't. I mean, all of those dynamics kind of go away. Yeah. And we've seen that time flies by and we have no different effect as a result of being on cruise control. Yeah, no, it, it, it sounds like a kind of comfort zone that's not really helping you very much in the long run. You know, Jim, if you could tell us a little bit about the, the, um, the, the solutions you bring, okay, to maybe help people with that cruise control challenge, the comfort zone thing, to, to help them change to where they want to go from where they may be right now. But if you could tell us based on where you came from, you know, a little bit about you know, how did you get here? I know for a fact, just because I know you, that you're kind of a rebel. Um, you know, you believe in things like disrupting the whole, you know, the field you show up in, bringing newness, you know, to the table. But can you take us back a little bit to who Jim Rembach is and how you got here? Uh, the okay. disruption so kid. Uh, <laughs> what's that? The, how did the disruption kid get here? <laughs> yeah, so let, let's give some context and, and understanding is that I am the third of four boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my two older brothers are six and seven years older than me. And my younger brother is six years younger than me. So mm-hmm. while I was somewhat of a middle child, I also have had some, you know, firstborn type of tendencies because of that gap that uh, had actually taken place. Mm-hmm. You know, however, I mean, I... I mean, I always remember myself getting into trouble, um, getting into trouble because you can only imagine having brothers that are six and seven years older. I tried doing what my six and seven year old brother had, you know, were doing. So I remember putting my, my hand through a, a plate window when we were having a, a race. I remember. Oh, no. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. So for me, and I always re- remember, too, that because of being in the middle and having both parents that were blue collar workers, I had a lot of freedom. So, I mean, I would get into trouble not Thank goodness I was never arrested. Um, yeah. Lord, should have been. And we won't yeah. talk about that. I don't know what the statutes are on that. Uh, but I, I was always looking for, you know, things to be different. Now, sometimes with that whole different piece, that means that I felt odd, kind of out of place, you know, kind of didn't feel, feel like I fit in. And, and I never really knew how to put that in, in place. I never really knew how to find, you know, my confidence and my center and, and, and my voice and, and I think for me, you know, we often talk about those defining moments and we talk yes. about you know, when did it kind of hit you. And I don't know if it really ever did. To me, it was kind of like a culmination. Mm-hmm. It was like you know, all of these, you know, 
what seemed like disparate pieces of, of actions and activities and behaviors and feelings and thoughts. And, you know, just slowly as I've aged kind of come together. Um, yes. And I would dare to say when I was growing up, they probably would have medicated me in the process, but you know, that wasn't as prevalent as it is today. And thank goodness it isn't because I think sometimes we overuse that and we're essentially medicating the innovation and creativity out of our youth wow. uh, and even adults, but that's a different story. But, I, you know, I always, you know, was finding the situations where I was, got myself in trouble, never really figured out how I got there. Mm-hmm. And so as I got older, I started figuring out, okay, don't do that because you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. Uh, so for me, uh, as I just talked about Dr. Bacharach in, in the interview that I had with him for the Fast Leader Show, we had talked about me becoming certified in emotional intelligence and how you know, clunky organizations have, have issues with emotional, intelligently deficient leaders. Yep. Um, Dr. Bacharach said something about, you know, focusing in and building those strengths. And he goes, he goes, see, you did it and it's a strength for you. And I replied back and said, because I was dysfunctional. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Isn't, isn't, isn't it interesting, Jim, how everything we are today really does go back to who we were once. Right. And, and, you know, a lot of people sort of ignore that and they, they, they don't go back and do the, the story listening that you've done to your own story because now you can see how it's informed your current story. So that just kudos to you, but you did kind of mention something in there about, um, you know, how, where you are today. And I, I want to learn more about your actual solution and, you know, the steps that you provide, to help people, either the frontline managers or whoever your clients may be, how do you help them physically get from A, which is where their challenges are today, to B, which is where the solution is uh, for them? What are the steps you take your uh, clients through? So as we're talking about the different revenue streams, when I talk about the leadership academy that we have, and it's, you know, like a, it's a membership site, right? Um, and I think many of your listeners uh, probably are familiar with the concept, at least, of what that membership type, you know, site is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we did is created a virtual learning platform. Uh, and so when I looked at the industry and the decades-long problem that we had mm-hmm. with morale and turnover that, ex- that is just so prevalent, Really, the, the root cause behind all of this is that whole issue between with the frontline leadership. I mean, play, you've been through Dale Carnegie training and, you know, you yourself have been disciplined in learning and, and development and organizational design and development. And uh, so when you start talking about, you know, the how people approach adult learning, it's all messed up traditionally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and so for me, being in this industry, being someone who looked at this problem, seeing a massive gap, I'm talking, it's, it's just a, an enormous opportunity. I was like, oh, we need to solve for that. Yeah. And it also goes back to talking about, you know, full circle. When I first started in contact center operations, my responsibility was, develop, was to create a development program for those emerging leaders. And I mentored them. It was my responsibility. All of our leaders came, you know, through my what we called at that time, a team leader and training program. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of come back full circle for me for now I've taken it, I've digitized it and made that Academy virtual mm-hmm. so that when I go and talk to somebody about their uh, investment and their need to develop that frontline staff, I'm like, okay, I have, here's what your competition is. And it's nothing like this. No, I, I have actually been blessed quite frankly um, you know, there's people who are experts in, in my field of, of the contact centers that are experts in training and, and development. Yep. 
And one of the ladies used to own who is my, one of my competitors, she mm-hmm. sold the company. And I actually walked her through our virtual learning platform and she goes, oh my goodness, this is exactly wow. what our industry needs. How can I help you? Wow. She goes, my non-compete no longer is in place. She goes, I want, I want to help you be successful because this is what we need. I'm like, yeah. wow. How can you get that kind of endorsement from somebody who is a, a guru in training in our industry without having something different and unique that serves the need as it exists today? Um, and, and, and she even talked that during that conversation about being vendor neutral. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, yes, I am all about being venture new, vendor neutral. I said, well, wait a minute. You're talking about doing a webinar with call center coach. That's my company. And she goes, mm-hmm. well, you have no competition. <laughs> well, you, you know what they say about a leader? A leader is someone who knows the way, goes the way, and can show the way. And the only reason you have this very unique virtual learning platform and, and you're so powerful in your industry, I think, is because of where you've been. I mean, look, we go way back to your, your, you know, your, your disruption, <laughs> you know, uh, rebel days and into your actual being in the contact manager field for a long time. And then we go into the days when all you did was content marketing. Before anybody was talking about content marketing, you were writing articles, having people on your podcast. I mean, Jim, you have earned everything you have today. I'm, I'm just so proud of it. Sorry if anyone's listening to this. I'm showing how much I know you. I should let you talk, but I'm really proud that you have actually earned the stripes. You're not one of those people who just showed up and says, hey, I've got an idea. Uh, you've lived this, haven't you? I have. And, you know, the, the, the one saying that we all, I think, have heard of is easy come, easy go, right? Yeah, yeah. And I've seen, you know, the whole short timers, not a whole lot of experience, not a whole lot of things. And you know what? They may get attention for a little while, but then they fade really fast. Yeah. So yeah. You know, my tenure and my loss of hair follicles and uh, all that. <laughs> hey, you need a hat. That's why I wear this, okay? <laughs> So, I think I might have to look for one of those. Yeah, yeah. Go, go get one of these Minneapolis hats. That's what this is, by the way. All right. So, so, Jim, let's talk about sort of the success story that your clients may experience through you. Um, share with us what it looks like for a contact center uh, business unit, if you will, or contact center leaders to be successful after they've experienced your learning academy or any interaction with you as a coach and so on. What does success look like? I, th- I mean, to me, I think it's ease. Uh, so when you start talking about the difficulties associated with being able to manage in that type of environment and then lead in that environment, uh, it be, it's very complex. So some perspective as far as when I came through operations in managing customer care operations is we only dealt with the phone call mm-hmm. and the email. And so we only had those, what is referred to as channels, those two channels that we had to manage. The internet wasn't around. We didn't have to worry about that. We didn't have social media. I mean, there was none of those, no social media stuff. Uh, and yet to manage in that environment, when you start talking about the efficiency metrics and the productivity metrics and the scheduling and, you know, that, that's, that's just the management of it. And then the leading of the people, it's extremely complex. Well, now let's fast forward to today. We have multiple channels. We have social media channels, social media customer service, and every single one of those platforms that have to now be managed for customer interactions and the customer experience. We may have organizational uh, platforms and communities that have to be managed. 
we have all, you know, all other aspects of, of social media that have to be managed and all those interactions. We have, yes, we have email, yes, but then we have chat, we have SMS, we have all these different self-service. I mean, man, it's daunting. Who in the heck, would, in their right mind, would ever want to work in this environment these days? You know, it, it's interesting. I'm almost hearing you saying that the, the name call center itself may be outdated because because all the different avenues that may not really be a phone call really are about the customer experience versus whether it's a call center or not. How has your industry actually evolved to address sort of the change in technology and marketing and all that stuff? Well, it has. And so you can even say from a, you know, why is your company called Call Center Coach? Well, one of the reasons is that I actually acquired the name and the, the IP, you know, from a company that was founded in 1999. So I was founded in 1999. Hey, you know, um, so that, that tenure is important. Uh, having that yeah. credibility is important. That, and of uh, course, the brand, the branding around call center hasn't gone away. But it's just that there's so many things now that you deal with beyond just the calls, right? Right. So as far as the way our industry has addressed it, we still, you know, we still refer to them as contact centers a lot of times. Uh, however, still, when you start looking at the complexities of, of supporting and retaining uh, and attracting customers, Ultimately, where the crucial point is now, it's with that voice interaction. It's with the call because the complexity is now being essentially taken care of in so many other different forms and formats. Because even when you think about short form text and SMS, can you get into involved with a very long conversation with somebody? No, it's it's shortwave radio, man. Uh, So when it gets complex is what do you do? You're grabbing for this thing. Okay, so let me explain what I went through. And you have right? the human element, right? That's, you know, he, you, you can't beat the human element in any kind of experience or interaction or sales or marketing, right? Right. And so, you know, people are so worried about artificial intelligence these days and it taking my job and this, that, and other. If, you're, if you are in the job of human interaction, mm-hmm. your job is secure. That'll never go away. Yeah. It's the simple stuff that will go away. And you know what? Augmentation is really where you want to focus. How can this automation augment and support what I am doing? So yeah. now for a capacity perspective, I can get more done, right? You know, and maybe I'm even you know, doing it a little bit smarter because instead of me now have to search for information, whether it's up here or whether it's online, it's being presented, right? So yeah. Yeah. thinking about it from that perspective, it's a different world. But knowing that these voice conversations and this human touch, much like what you and I are doing here, that's not going to go away. It's not going to go away. And, you know, it's funny because um, if you go online right now, you're, you'll hear 500 different opinions about whether uh, things like video is the best way to connect with people or is content management or inbound marketing or content marketing. Are those things still relevant? You know, one of the things that I, I, I think you've done very well, and I've talked about this previously already, is you built up a slow but steady content management, sorry, content marketing and social proof infrastructure, right? With your, with your podcasts, with your blogs. I mean, you've been doing this for what, five years? <laughs> and so oh. now you've got, you've got stuff out there that just screams that you know what you're talking about. And I think people who, I, I want to warn anybody who's listening to anyone say, hey, listen, you don't need content marketing. All you need is send an advertisement or send an automation to someone and 
get them into a meeting and sign them up for a big ticket uh, you know, uh, engagement. Look, it's not always that easy. You still do need to be an authority in something. You've got to be an expert and you've got to show it. And that's what content marketing does, right? It's, well, it's kind of that rite of passage. And also, I, I want to, I you know, here I'm kind of dating me. I remember <laughs> building websites on a product that was called Adobe Contribute wow. back in the 90s using dial-up to build websites. Wow. So it hasn't been five years, buddy. I wish it was. But you know, <laughs> it's, been, you know, it's been more than 15. I mean, it's been you're a talking, long you're, you're talking about your Beyond Morale uh, blog. Is that correct? So, Beyond Morale? So as far as the Beyond Morale blog, uh, that came a little while later until okay. I found that voice. But as far as generating and creating, you know, content um, and starting that process and learning how to do that, um, that started way back then. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I've been at it and been continually honing it and learning lessons. And, you know, I mean, I went from the whole iteration of, you know, there was no set WordPress. What the heck was that? That wasn't, you know, that was, <laughs> wasn't in anybody's mind when I started. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, trying to build, trying to build a website with dial up. That was fun. <laughs> that that's definitely, uh, that does date you. So now we know you've, you've been doing this for a while, but no, I, I want to say that, um, you know, you know, whenever I get to a point where I can connect what you do with what I do, um, I, I want to celebrate that. I find you to be someone who has been very successful with marketing, uh, to big ticket clients. If you were to look back at everything you've done over the years, uh, what advice would you have for people who want to figure out how do I get my message out? How do I market to people so I can actually do business in this noisy, confusing world? What would your advice be to, to those kinds of people? I think ultimately it's trying to get to that voice interaction now, but here's the complexities. And you start talking about for me and what I've seen and how things have shifted and how things have changed and all that stuff. To get to that point has gotten significantly harder than it's ever been before. Yeah. And for me, if I was talking, to, you know, so I would say coming to the point of figuring out that podcasting was a way in order for me to essentially um, invite my potential client and prospect, you know, to engage with me and where I'm just putting a spotlight on them, you know, yeah. and, and essentially drawing them in instead of trying to continue to push, you know, my yeah. message out to them was a huge benefit. Uh, and then also being very strategic about who I'm asking to be, you know, as a guest on my show. So right mm -hmm. now, like with Dr. Samuel Bacharach, um, I have about five or six PR companies that are constantly pitching me guests to be on my show because I've been around so long. Yeah. Um, and, but again, it goes back to that rite of passage thing, right? You know, to, to get big names earlier, if you can do that, hey, fantastic, that's great. But I've had several PR companies say that they won't even talk to any podcaster until they've had at least 100 episodes. Because when you start looking at the statistics associated with that, a lot of people never make it past 20. Yeah. And a lot of people, if they make it past 20, they don't make it past 50. I mean, they just fizzle out and they don't stay with it. So I would dare to say that I've kind of learned that that is a great path, mm -hmm. um, but it's not a quick path. It's uh, not a quick path. You're right. I mean, you I mean, have I, what, 200 and... How many episodes are you at now? About 200 and something? Yes. And you could say, okay, so for me, let's put it in perspective. I do a weekly. You know, there's some people out there that get to 200 in, in two months because they are, you know, doing it three times a week, four times a week. Heck, you know, Dumas was doing every single day. But you notice he's not doing that anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, he, he got up to 1,500 really darn quick because he was doing one a day. 
Yeah. Uh, and sometimes even posting ones in between that were just conversations. So anyway, mm-hmm. you, you know, you can get to those numbers real quick, but you know, it's the sustaining piece, you know, and the longevity yeah. piece. And I'm not here, you know, just to do my quick IPO and get the heck out. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, that's my, not my objective. My you, be, objective. you believe in this, you have a point of view and you've stuck, you have really stuck with this. In fact, I, I would agree with you about the podcasting strategy, which is obviously one of the things we share because for me, podcasting is a way to build relationships with people. Uh, it, it is a, it's an indirect way to connect. It, it's not about shouting about you. It's about celebrating other people. And you do that very well in your, in your industry. I appreciate that. And yeah. you've been on my show a couple of times. And I, uh, here, here's, a, here's a point of distinction. Dr. Pillay is the only yeah. one been on the Fast Leader Show twice. Ah, uh, thank you. I, you know what? I should get an award for that, okay? You got to send <laughs> me something. <laughs> Jim, it has been a... What, go ahead. You were going to say something. I, I, I got a Minnesota hat in uh, white for you. How's it? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Although now that we live in Austin, you have to get me both Minnesota and Austin. <laughs> Jim, you know, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. And as we get to the close, I want to see if you can just give us some final nuggets, uh, some, some last words of advice that you think people who want to be like you when they grow up, frankly, someone who has figured out a way to create content, to market, and to build a point of view and have an offer that is successful. What would your advice be to people on the path right now? Well, I mean, first thing it is, is get out of cruise control. Uh, yeah. You know, don't, don't and, and here's the thing, is that if you want big changes and big impact, you don't do that by minor tweaks and adjustments. It's just not the way it happens. Yeah. I mean, you got to go you, big you, ticket. <laughs> well, yes, uh, that's a great point. Um, but, I mean, you have to take the path that is the least travel one. And I know that may seem, you know, like it's cliche and things like that. However, you have to have and learn the resilience and have the wherewithal to say, I'm going to forge it and go my own way. But then hold on to some of the core foundational elements that have, has gotten people here um, you know, like I'm sharing with you. I mean, you could do the yeah. quick night stuff, you know, and if you want to do the quick IPO and get out, good luck with that. You know, yeah. you can do the turn and burn if you can do that. But for me, I want to leave a legacy. And I know that I'm living that legacy every single day. And so I would or dare to say, look at your particular approach. You know, are you falling in a swim lane that everybody has, has actually swam down or yeah. swum, swam, swam, you know, yeah. or, or are you going down a different path? You know, uh, that is, that, don't be afraid to go, go. Yeah. Yeah. Take action. Right. No, that, that is such powerful advice. In fact, Jim, I haven't told you this, but my upcoming book, which is called Big Ticket Clients, no surprise there. The subtitle is You Can't Catch a Whale with a Worm. Okay. And the reason I'm using that is because as you've just said, so many of us are, are using all the marketing strategies and all the things we see other people doing, what seems to have always worked. Right. And we're, we're trying to just copy it and implement it but we haven't really fully studied our own expertise and our own strengths and, and we haven't found our own thing, right? So if you want to go get a whale, you can't take a worm just because everybody else uses worms. You got to figure out what does a whale need? What do I really need to do best? And for you, it's been the blogging and the podcasting. And I would dare say so many people are, are afraid to do that, don't want to do that, or they've decided not to do it because they've found easier ways by just buying stuff on Facebook advertising and getting a person to the voice meeting. You've done it the traditional way and you've been successful and I celebrate that with you. 
I appreciate that. And I, I would say, you know, because of what you just said, it brought a thing, a thing to mind. You, you have to be confident in your own skin. Uh, and so for me, heck, I don't consider myself a good looking person in any way, shape or form. However, you're going to see my face on video because yeah. you're going to see <laughs> facial expressions. You're going to see my smile, my frown and, and, and all of that is part of who I am and it enables connection and connectivity with the people who I know uh, will be part of my future. And you need to get your face out there. You do. But, but Jim, I'm going to contradict you here because, you know, we actually met once in person, right? Uh, over the years, we've always sort of talked on, on Zoom or something on the video, but we actually met once when you came out to Austin. And you are a tall and imposing gentleman. I, and I appreciate you, the hospitality when I came. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we gave you some African soup, right? Remember that? <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. Oh, that I'll tell my wife. <laughs> okay, Jim. Well, in, in closing, um, how can people reach you? Um, you know, you're on social media everywhere, but what's the best way uh, to really get in touch with you directly if anybody wanted to? Well, my mobile number is 336-202-1032. Call me. Uh, LinkedIn. <laughs> I, I like mean, that. <laughs> I mean, I've got a couple different, uh, you know, social me- uh, you know, media profiles and things like that. But I would say that, you know, I'm on LinkedIn just about every single day. But hell, call me, text me. Absolutely. So if you're on LinkedIn and you're looking for Jim, let me spell your name here. It's Remback, Jim, R-E-M as in Mary, B-A-C-H. Uh, that's how you get a hold of Jim on LinkedIn. And of course, you already heard the phone number, which I think you should turn into an, a commercial because that really came out really good. Um, so Jim, thank you so much for being on, uh, on our show. It has been my pleasure and I wish you the very best. Oh, same to you, my friend. 